From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair podcast next round conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes in order to focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. Today, I'm speaking with Gage Siegel and Simone Schroeder of Non Sequitur Beer Project. Gage, Simone, thank you so much for your time. For sure. Happy to be here. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah. So let's start out with um, what is Non Sequitur Beer Project? And I'm assuming it's not a tribute to the comic strip in the newspaper <laughs> that I never understood as a kid. You know, <laughs> most people don't even get that reference. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't the focus per se, but um, I definitely thought about it when the name came up. You could also be mistaken to think it was our love letter to our dog um, with how much attention we pay to him, right? Um <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, so non sequitur, we're uh, one and a half. It's about one and a half years, right, Sim? Yep. Yep. <laughs> one wow. and a half year old contract based brewery uh, based out of Brooklyn. So where we live, uh, we started out making our beer in the Bronx, moved our production uh, over the summer of last year to Red Hook, Brooklyn, uh, tripling our our volume. Uh, with a focus on what we like to call thoughtfully hoppy beer, uh, since we've got to make a lot of it, and gotcha. uh, and a focus on charitable giving. So uh, we've done our fair share of initiative beers, if you will, like All Together and Black is Beautiful and People Power. Um, but as well, we, we donate a portion of our sales every month to various New York-based charities. Wonderful. And I want to get into a little bit more about that um, aspect of the project and, and kind of how you get aligned with charities and how you do that. But I, I want to just cover for those of our listeners who might not be super familiar with the concept, what does it mean to be a, you know, kind of a contract brewery? And, and what is that life like a kind of nomadic potentially existence? Yeah, I mean, we uh, are a little bit unique in that world, where we make all of our beer in one place. Uh, I, I'm the, you know, of the duo here, I'm the one who hangs out in the brewery all the time. So it's good for me to have someone to work with over and over again. So, but the, you know, by its nature, contract brewing or gypsy brewing, as you might call it, hear it called, is making beer at someone else's facility. Generally, they do it for you. Uh, and it's gotten a bad rap because some people don't get involved in the process at all. Uh, your average is pretty involved. I'm extremely involved. I'm there on brew days most of the time. Uh, I package all of our beer. Um, and I write all our recipes as well. Um, and it's, you know, you're living in someone else's living room is really what it is. That's, uh, it comes with its complications. Uh, people have not always been... Our, our contract partners are, it's always a little bit, we're in their way, but we've made the best of yeah. it and we make a heck of a lot of beer these days. That's really cool. And for the breweries, the, the point is, I guess, that you're using their system that might not otherwise be in use. Like they're able to kind of a little bit, you know, like the same way someone might use rent out a spare room on Airbnb. I'll, I'll chime in here. So essentially, like they may have as part of their business plan that they have a contract brewing uh, business on top of it. So they have okay. they do their own beer um, and then also have tanks available for anyone who, 
you know, wants to brew beer with their, with their employees. Right. So they would utilize the brewers that are in house at that brewery. Um, so for a lot of breweries, it's also just an extra source of income, um, you know, and they can be, you know, quite successful with a contract brewing program. So let's talk about the kind of concept and, and how you have executed on this. So, so what brought you to launching a, a beer brand, I guess, if, and if, if not a, the way we typically think of a brewery and, and then kind of along with that, since it sounds like these kind of um, initiative beers and, and uh, beers that are sort of based around charitable giving, you know, how do you then kind of, there are obviously lots of great causes. How do you kind of decide what causes to focus on? Sure. I'll take the first half here. So at the end of the day, getting into, you know, getting into beer was a, was something that I wanted to do for many years. Um, I've been working in beer directly for about five years, the last five years prior to this, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a million dollars, uh, to spend on making it happen. And so the contract brewing model allowed us to get started at a reasonable rate, prove the business out and then grow from there. So it was just a, it was a thing I always wanted to do. And, and Simone has been an incredibly supportive partner along the way, I have to say. Uh, thanks. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, it was just, it was a, it was a thing I wanted to do. I wanted to do it five years ago and thought I can contribute something unique. And we've had to retool and find, uh, find our, our explicit focus okay. uh, as we've gone along, which has been in the beer, our, uh, our approach to thoughtfully hoppy beer, utilizing unique, new, or interesting hops uh, in, our, in our IPAs, or even in our sours and saisons uh, and other things. I'll leave uh, the charity aspect to Simone. Yeah, something to note too is when non sequitur was started, um, obviously it wasn't COVID. And the idea was one, to really have charity play a factor, but also this idea of the pop up tap room and kind of bringing beer into these unconventional spaces, um, really wanting to focus on having these really unique events, right? So obviously that <laughs> we've had to stress yeah. slightly um, at this time. Um, but you know, really tried to continue to keep the charitable giving focus as, as part of our, you know, a value of, of the company. Uh, so, so when it came to, you know, choosing the, the charities that we'd like to work with, it was always really important to find organizations that were mostly local. So New York City focused uh, to support the local community. Um, so we worked with, uh, New York Immigration Coalition, Make the Road New York. Uh, and then as you know, time has gone on, we've expanded it to like Planned Parenthood or other organizations for some of the charity beers that we've worked with. So the, like the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. So, so essentially, you know, we always wanted to put, even if it was a small portion that we, we were giving back to the community at large and, uh, you know, focusing on communities that maybe don't get a voice generally um, to the larger, larger public. Gotcha. And so when you're, when you're coming up with the sort of partnership or pairing of cause and beer, is that just, Hey, I want to make this beer and Hey, I want to, we want to give to this cause, or is there any more sort of, uh, interplay between those two components of the beer than just 
than just kind of what you want to make and what you want to, who you want to work with or donate to? I, I would say um, we are not that organized. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very fair. A lot of decisions, uh, you know, we decide, we're like, we're brewing a, a new beer on Wednesday and I ordered everything, made the decision Tuesday morning on what we would be making and ordered everything Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so we just, there's not as much, uh, not, I don't want to say not thought put in, but we're just not that far ahead to be able to build a partnership. A lot of these organizations are just a little bit too big to get involved. The alcohol aspect complicates things. So we end up, we make the decision, you know, once, twice a month. Uh, if it's, if there's a big event that's happened, uh, you know, we, we're very involved. I think you could center our giving uh, on the idea of social justice uh, most generally. So when, you know, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, we donated to BLM and the New York Civil Liberties Union and a bunch of um, Reclaim the Block and, uh, you know, local focused uh, in other places where, you know, where actually, you know, things on the ground were happening with the communities. So we wanted to, we left home for that to support those folks. Um, but we're, we're just making the call on what's going on in the world at that time. And sometimes there's, we're at a loss to pick. So we go down a list of local charities for things that inspire us. Very cool. And I'm curious, you know, to come back a little bit to the beer itself, um, you know, you talked about working with sort of like, uh, you know, newer strain, uh, varieties of hops or, or things like that. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, you guys are in New York. It's not exactly hop country. How does how does a how does a brewer in New York get kind of connected to like what the what the up and coming things are in in the hop industry? Is it just a everyone's online these days, so it's not a secret or or what? Well, you know, you'd be surprised how secret it ends up being, even though it's all online and you can log into just about anywhere. You know, we've we are really good friends with the folks at Hop Butcher in Chicago. We're pretty tight with Other Half, uh, Humble Sea out in uh, Santa Cruz. I think that is. I hope he's not listening. Um, <laughs> but I hope he is. Listen to the podcast, people. <laughs> um, so we're friends with people who've been doing it for many years longer than us, and they've clued us in uh, to the best ways to get your hands on the cool new hops. And in, in some cases, you know, we, for 2020, we signed really big hop contracts for a brewery of our size. So we bought, you know, futures, if you will, in hops. And so our, we carry big contracts and I can call those people up and say, hey, I heard about this new hop. I, any chance you've got some? And if they do, they're inclined to toss a little our way. We're equally lucky during COVID, as much as it is generally bad, uh, a lot of folks are giving up hops they would have otherwise used. So a lot of things became available. But just this week with the pale ale recipe I wrote for next week, uh, I discovered a handful of new hops that one of our uh, broker grower partners had released this year that I missed out hearing about. So <laughs> next week's beer, we'll have uh, one hop that we've never used before. And another one that when we used it was just uh, a number, an experimental hop. 
What has it, but it's gotten a, a cool new name that sounds like a strain of weed. Exactly. Altus. Oh, okay. Altus has a name now. <laughs> so um, I, I have it on, I think, pretty good uh, information from uh, Kat Walensky that uh, the two of you are in the process of putting together some sort of actual physical space for non sequitur. Is that, uh, is that correct? That's correct. We're moving to Bushwick. So gotcha. while it may not have been in the original business plan, as I mentioned, kind of having that pop-up idea as the main focus and really being this nomadic brand, uh, we've decided to to lay down some roots in Brooklyn here in Bushwick. So was that a, I mean, you can get into as much detail as you care to. Was that a difficult decision given that, you know, it sounds like maybe the sort of pop-up experimental tastings thing didn't, you didn't get a lot, a long run of that before COVID. So was it hard to kind of give up that initial vision or was it like, Hey, this is an opportunity that we just can't pass up. Well, I mean, it was a bummer. Yeah. It was a hard decision. We were having so much fun with the pop-ups right before COVID hit was the New York city beer week. We threw a, uh, an emo night dance party that was what I still hear from people uh, brewers from other states, distributors from other states who popped in and out of that party and said it was the coolest event they've been to. Um, and, you know, we were having so much fun with those. But as COVID wore on, uh, there we just we learned that being an all distribution brewery just wasn't going to work. It was mm-hmm. really difficult to try to get the beer out where we had to rely on distribution partners as New York city was, you know, you know, 50% shut down as you are aware. The tap room becomes an opportunity to have a place to sell our beer. And the biggest hurdle that we've found in the sales of our beer is that we make slightly weird stuff. If you will, it's not Mm -hmm. that the beer tastes weird, make IPAs like the best of them. And sometimes we'll play the hits and make your mosaic Nelson Sauvin Galaxy IPAs. But often we're using ingredients that people don't know about. And we want the opportunity to talk about those ingredients and why we chose them and why they're interesting to the person drinking the beer. Gotcha. We definitely, yeah, we definitely want storytelling to be a part of our brand. And so having that opportunity to either have us or, you know, a beer tender that's work and speaking to the public and can really share about why the hops are cool or special or different um, is really important to us. So we're looking forward to that particular experience. Is there a a rough timetable on this or, you know, do not want to say anything at this point? (laughs) I mean, listen, we want everybody tuning into this, but I highly doubt anybody from the state liquor authority is listening. (laughs) If they hear us, maybe they'll delay our application, but our application is in, uh, and by all accounts, we should have a license sometime between the beginning of March and the end of May. That's a pretty big window. It should be on the earlier side, but if I've learned anything, uh, it's that everything takes longer and costs more money than you intended. Yeah. That does seem to be the rule in beverage alcohol. (laughs) Obviously, being you know only a year and a half or so into this project, it's not it's not the same as breweries that may have been around for a long time. But you have gone through this pretty big uh, transformation in in everyone's life as having a business. And 
or have consumer demands changed or maybe also have your own interests in like what you're brewing changed since you started? Do you feel like um, people are looking for different things in their beers since COVID started or, or um, are you interested in brewing different things or is it all kind of too close together to say? Well, I think it's, that's a hard question to answer. You know, we, on one hand, I think if we, if the tap room was open or would have been open this whole time, we would have had an excuse uh, to brew more variety of styles, traditional stuff. Uh, we wouldn't have a hard time selling a table beer and a Pilsner. But when we are sending out to distribution, what the indicators point to is that folks want uh, hops that they recognize. They want well-priced beers and styles uh, and making expensive, unique, unusual stuff requires a little bit of handholding. We've, you know, introduced more variety into our production. We still make a lot of hoppy beer, but we were able to introduce variety through our move to a new production facility. Uh, contract brewing is not kind to wild process experimentation. I'll say that. I, th- you know, I think for us, Gage and I would love to be making a lot more lager, pilsner, right? Some cleaner styles as well. Um, and I think we're definitely going to get there. And, and I, that tap room is going to open up a lot of doors for us, um, as well as uh, when we bring production to house, eventually, you know, we'll be able to maybe be a little more mi- uh, branching out a bit more than from our more hoppy beers that we're making. Uh, but like, like Gage said, it's been tough being a distribution only brand. And when we did take a lot of kind of fun risks or try some things out with some stranger hops uh, or lesser known hops, it maybe wasn't getting as much appreciation as we would have liked, um, especially also from a, a cost perspective too, to, to create these beers. So I think it's definitely coming and the taproom is going to open those doors for us to diversify a bit. Uh, one last question for the two of you. When it comes to finding, you know, this sort of a little more permanent home, do you think that at some point, or, or will, the, will the plan still be as far as the sort of, um, charitable giving side of the of the project will it be still kind of more of a rotating um set of charities or do you intend to maybe have some more permanent kind of collaborations with a cause or maybe there's a beer and a cause that are kind of always available or always tied together that's a good question um i don't know if we have an exact plan for that as of now as we mentioned right now it's been kind of what's going on in the world and I'm certainly open to having a long-term partnership with an organization. We've discussed, you know, there's some local community organizations in Bushwick are, you know, our new home and uh, we'd love to be, you know, long-term partners, but nothing necessarily set in stone at this time. Gotcha. Well, Gage Simone, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Interesting to hear about what you're working on and uh, best of luck with uh, getting the physical space up and running. Uh, I know, what kind of a nightmare alcohol permanent is everywhere in the country. It's not just a New York issue, I promise. Uh, And look forward to hearing more about your uh, project as it evolves. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.